Good morning. Okay. I am not sure that what I started has saved anywhere. And if it did, I will see what I can do. But I did talk for a while and bumped something. And anyway, here I am. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you happen to be in the world. I'm Debbie Hazelton. And welcome to another edition, another moment of this time around, because every moment is a new moment with lots of potential this time around. So I have lots of thoughts to share today. The first is that I was asked by someone who heard a podcast I did um, a couple episodes back where I was sharing and I made the comment that I am open for all belief systems or that I believe that all belief systems are are good or right or something like that. And they said, well, what about people who think that theirs is more right than everyone else's? Is that okay? And I said, no. And they said, well, that's a belief system. So I guess to me, (laughs) I guess that is a belief system. But to me, it's also how someone chooses to wear or embody or express a belief system. So in a way, I guess for the most part, I think that belief systems in and of themselves at a very basic level are all right, are okay, are under an umbrella that's big enough with enough love. It's like a huge smorgasbord. So if you believe in Buddhism and Hinduism and you're a Jew or you are a Christian or you are an atheist and you are agnostic and and you are into yoga and you're into joy and you're into laughter and you're into you're a Quaker and anything like that to me my sense of the allness, essence, presence is that it's big enough for all of us to be at the table and have lots in common and have what we want from this gigantic smorgasbord. That to me is good. That to me is right. It is okay. The belief system that says, what I'm doing, what I'm believing is the only right way. And therefore, um, mine is the only right way. And I'm here to tell you that yours is wrong and mine is right. And I'm here to also tell you that um, I'm going to, you know, take what you say and turn it upside down and make something bad out of it. No, no. That's not okay. And belief systems that believe in something like Satanism. Well, I have a a view that says, wow, people like that have been taught to believe in evil, believe in suffering. Well, evil to me is live backwards. It's live spelled backwards. And no, those are not okay. Those are, those are very much misguided people who were hurt, hurt children. And so, no, 
that is not okay with me. And, you know, at the beginning, somewhere at the beginning of, well, even before 2023, there was a day, um, and I thought, my goodness, haven't we reached a point yet where power over people is just not acceptable? Haven't we reached a point? Well, I think many have. And all of these shootings and this horrible, just very bad behavior, it's, it's reaching a pinnacle place where everyone is going to be opening their windows like that movie network and screaming, I've, I'm, I've had enough of this and I'm, I'm madder than hell and I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And there will be more people taking this in hand. And I apologize for the dog barking if you're hearing it. Um, but there will be more of this kind of behavior that um, people just aren't going to stand around and put up with. And But, you know, this also brings me to a point about TV. I think we have a real, real problem with TV, um, with AI. I'm very concerned about AI. And I think there are a lot of people who watch horrible stuff on TV and just sit there. They feel the adrenaline in the way that they yell at the TV and they say things, and yet they sit there and they watch this toxic, horrible stuff over and over and over. And they know that it's TV. They react and respond to it as though it's real. And yet it's, it's kind of a, a mixed bag. And I, we've, we've seen lots of things where people just stand around and let things happen and watch like it's TV. And I think that we're reaching increasingly to a place where, you know, it's like that phrase, we're not free until we're all free. And, you know, um, that parable, when you did these things um, for someone else, you did it unto me. Well, it was a parable that was said in a good way, like you fed me when I was hungry and you, you know, clothed me and all. And when you hurt me, when you've hurt anyone, it hurts all of us. When things are done that are unkind, it hurts all of us. So I sent some, a couple people, uh, an Esther Hicks video last night that I just absolutely adored. I, I hear each one of them. I hear so many of them. And I think, oh, this is my favorite. This is the best one. Well, there are so many now that I've heard that are the best one that I don't, I can't choose specifically, but I do find so many of them good. But in it, you know, she was talking about the people who say, well, you, you know, you can't do this. You can't possibly have that money and you can't make those dreams come true. You need to face reality. And she was challenging that and saying, well, what is that? We create our reality. 
and we need to not listen to all of that and we need to um, remember to spend time getting out ahead of some of those negative things that are said and that are out there and that are filling our TVs and, and you know, all sorts of things. And remember that we are creators. We create. So what does that mean in terms of the bad things that happen? What does that mean in terms of the need for advocacy? Does that mean that we should dream our dreams and just go on and ignore and just say, well, I'm, I'm creating and therefore I'm just going to ignore the bad things that happen. I don't think so. I think it's a both and. It's kind of like that, that thing about being on the airplane that says, you know, where they say, be sure to put your oxygen mask on first and then help someone else. So for me, it's important to keep myself filled up with the fullness of all that keeps my heart singing, of what it is that keeps me trusting and believing and allowing. It's important for me to keep myself filled up with the magic of the essence, the wonderment wonderment oh my gosh wonderment makes my heart just sing serendipity finding good in unexpected places oh to keep myself filled up and then to do what i can to help everyone to do what i can to keep speaking up to keep speaking out to keep being that voice that speaks for others who cannot, that keeps on doing what I can to show up, you know. Um, and then when it gets bad, I keep thinking of that song. I pick myself up, dust myself off, start all over again, yeah. <laughs> that too. To keep on keeping on means doing the forgiveness work, means dusting off, means getting rid of what serves me no useful purpose. Why, does, why are our bodies so magnificently made for us to give off our waste, to get rid of? Our waste doesn't come out, well, maybe with dead skin cells, but some of our... Um, biggest amounts of waste come from a couple of places and they are there for us to let out, let go, release, and then to move on, to continue to fill up and to continue to share. So there is a place for the biggest dreams, the biggest amount of belief in magic, the biggest amount of sitting at the table with others and sharing. But I think sitting at the table also means learning, maybe reminding 
self of the best manners, the best manners. Were you taught to sit at the table and just keep screaming at not allowing others to also be a part of the conversation? Were you taught to just throw your elbows and your arms and and your body all over the table and just take all of everything that you want and not share and to monopolize the conversation? I doubt it. I hope you were taught better manners than that, as was I. And so when we show up at the table of diversity and inclusiveness, well, hopefully there are wonderful, magical things that we remember, reconnect to do, like ask somebody, how are you? What's going on? Hey, what would you like to add to the conversation? I found a really good book last week called Turning Small Talk into Big Talk by Jan Janur. And it's a lot about table questions. I, I for many years said, I don't believe so much in questions because I do believe that behind a question is often a statement. And so maybe uh, even what he says about table questions could have a wonderful statement. I would really love to learn more from each of you about what you found to be one of the most meaningful days in your life and why. That would be a statement that is then turned into um, the, the open-ended way that it's also a question. But the point being that moving beyond small talk, because, oh my gosh, small talk, whew, I, I just think many people use small talk as a way of trying to cover, cover self up with a, a little throw. You know, I, I don't like a lot of throws. They're not big enough. I don't want to sit with throw on me. When I want to sit and relax, I want a blanket. I want something that's big enough to cover me. And I want big talk. I don't want little small talk, little things that I can use to cover up where I might feel guarded or embarrassed or frightened or shy or unacceptable. I don't want to cover up things just like that and then have to move that blanket to another one and five minutes later when something else is said that, oh, my such and such is exposed. No, I want a blanket where I feel safe. And then when I feel warm enough, I can take that blanket off and I can share, I can show up, I can be, I can bring what I have to the table. So there's an interesting little parable about um, two tables. One where, well, they both are loaded with bowls of food and trays of food. And there are people standing around both tables. One table has people where their arms are bent. And so they can reach their mouth. They can reach their mouth but they can't bend their elbow any further. 
And at the other table, their arms are out straight. And so they can reach, but they can't uh, get anything close to their own mouth. And so it says that in heaven, and I don't know, these are kind of like heaven and hell, these really dichotomous things, but in one dimension or one way of being, the people in the room where their arms are bent, they can't feed themselves and they can't feed each other. And in the other one, where their arms are out straight, they can feed each other and they can be fed. So I don't know that I I really want any of us to have our arms stuck in either of those positions, but to be able to have that freedom and that flexibility to both be fed and to feed others, I think is really, really, really important. So I've been thinking for a while that I want to talk a little bit about giving and receiving. um, I had a situation um, a while back where I kept, I knew that somebody wanted something and I wanted to give this thing to them. And they kept saying, oh, but I don't, I, I don't know what I have that I can give you, and I hate taking advantage of, and and I, I really want to, you know, be able to give. And I kept saying, but it's okay, I want to give this to you. So, you know, there's a wonderful woman, and I need to try to get a hold of her, named Amanda Owen, who wrote a book called, the I think it's called The Power of Receiving, And she said that many of us are not good receivers. That's interesting. And she said that there are people who think they're givers, but a lot of them are doers. They're not givers because they're doing maybe to control, and they're doing to get people to behave a certain way. And so my feeling is that some people are leery about receiving because they don't want to feel obligated and they don't want to feel that receiving means that somebody might be able to control or somebody might think they have too much power to expect and demand. So that's when maybe there have been too many doers and not just givers. Because to me, a giver is giving without strings attached, a giver, and or might say, I'm going to give, and let's, if we are going to have a situation, a bargain, um, um, an, an agreement, a deal, okay. But that still, to me, comes under doing. Like, I do not like it when somebody says, are we exchanging presents for a holiday. Are we giving? And oh, I didn't know that we were giving. And if we're, if we are, or how dare you, you give, even though we didn't say we were, I won't participate in that. I won't answer that. If somebody says, are we exchanging gifts? I say, that's up to you. 
I'm doing what I want. I will give if I choose to give. And if I don't, I hope that isn't a sign that you are going to decide that I'm not worthy of something that you would maybe choose to give. It's not about, for me, giving is not about that kind of a, an agreement unless two or more people agree that for them, that is their agreement. I would just say, don't expect that everyone who crosses your path is going to do that by your rules unless they choose to. And so I think there are, there are doers and there are givers. And then there are takers and there are receivers. So a taker is someone who takes and takes and takes and keeps on looking for more ways to take. I think some of those people are chronic, let's see how I can beat the system. Now, maybe lots of times, maybe there are times when any of us have found little ways to do that or ways, you know, and some of the systems don't set us up to want to be gracious receivers. Still, there's a difference. Is it about taking or is it about receiving? If I am somewhere and I never find ways to give and I just take and take and take and take from every relationship and take from oh gosh, just help myself, help myself, help myself, and I never bring anything. Well, or I don't appreciate. To me, a gracious, a receiver, is someone who doesn't only take and feel entitled, but receives and feels appreciative, receives and knows that giving and receiving is like breathing. I breathe out and I breathe in. I breathe in, and I also breathe out. So there's some reciprocity, and it may be about sharing in a conversation. It may be in listening. It may be in giving time. It may be in, oh gosh, just so many other ways of reciprocating that don't always involve money that don't always involve things or aren't so much based on, well, I'm spending $5, so therefore you can spend $5. No, no, no. This sort of one for you and one for me and one for you and one for me and, and this sort of bean counting, it's not for me. It's not for me. And... I think if I was going to be where I felt that everything was predicated on exact amounts, like I have bartered with people, and energy exchange, that's not such a monetary thing. It's not 
well, I will do this. I've done this for you six times. Now you have to do something that's worth that same amount six times. No, it's an energy. It can't always be quantified. And it's also, how does it feel? How does it feel to receive? Is it something that feeds or is it just somebody's busy work that you allow? How does it feel to give? Is it just something that's just, oh, I'm just going to pay this bill and I'm, I'm just going to, um, I'm just going to give this so that I'm doing my part, but you know, I'm just fulfilling an obligation. No, I don't want that. If I give something to you, I don't want you to do something because you feel obligated. I don't want you to do something because you are just wanting to make sure that there isn't too much being asked of you or where you feel like there's something that's expected. I would love to enjoy whatever it is you want to share, you want to give, but not out of obligation. No. So this leads me to want to talk about orgasms and out-of-body experiences. What in the world do those two things have in common? <laughs> well, having an orgasm might feel like an out-of-body experience, or having an out-of-body experience might feel like an orgasm. I don't know, but... I often think about, and it's kind of a funny thought, but I love to think about who were the first people to discover lots and lots of things. Who were the first people to discover what it took to make a cake? Who were the first people to discover cookies? Who were the first people to discover... Um, hmm... I don't know. Uh, I always go back to food, hamburgers, and um, and that vegetables, that things could be grown and then eaten, and then they could taste good, and then some of them could also bring forth incredible aromas. Who were the first people to discover flowers and their wonderful aromas, and that there could be flower? essences to come from them that could do lots of things. Well, we know Dr. Edward Bach discovered Bach flower essences. Those are not aromatic. And there are other flower essences also that work on emotions. I keep wanting to learn about the Australian flower essences. So who were the first to discover orgasm? And what I like to think about discovery is that it was a surprise. Can you imagine the first people that discovered orgasms? Can you imagine that level of, wow, what was that? I didn't expect that. I didn't know that. I 
didn't know to expect it so I could demand it and say, well, I had that yesterday, I should have it today. And I had one, now I should have two. Oh, I had two, now I should have five. And oh my God, I didn't have five, so now what does that mean? It must mean I'm a failure, and it must mean the universe is shortchanging me, and oh my God, it must mean that I, I need to get angry about it, and therefore somebody's not a good lover, and it must mean that blah, blah, blah all this stuff. And so I like to think about the sweetness of surprise. In fact, I don't want to know what you want to give me. I want to be surprised. I don't want to know when and if I'm going to have an out-of-body experience or an orgasm. I want to be surprised. Because I've heard people count their out-of-body experiences, or they call them oobies. How many oobies have you had? Oh, are you having oobies regularly? I'm like, what is that craziness? Are you having this regularly? Oh, my God. I remember when a lot of people were going into codependency treatment and all kinds of other recovery treatment. And it was sort of like, oh, have you been fixed yet? Have you gone into treatment? Oh, because if you have, then you're this. And if you haven't, then oh, you're not fixed yet. You know, it's kind of like the people who clip their dog's ears or tails to keep them into looking like they want that certain breed to look. Oh, no, I'm not into that. And if that's what you're into, well, that's your deal. And... I think we got a little too crazy with people going into treatment and people going to this or that. I don't like when I see big businesses funneling people in to get transformed and on the high with this or that. And here I've said I like Esther Hicks. I do. I love the work of Esther Hicks. I still don't see the same funneling in and... I do see the work. I see that, I see um, something that feels right to me or I wouldn't stand by it. You may choose to stand by someone else or some other program, so that doesn't mean that those are all bad. I will say that in some cases, I do believe that there are some that are more like funneling people in like cattle, like packs of dogs, and we're going to fix them. We're going to fix them. And then they can go out and say that they've been fixed, and they can try to get all their friends in to get fixed. And then everybody can keep counting their ubies and their orgasms, and they can keep on trying to change everybody and demand and, and expect. So Esther Hicks talks about expecting an expectation. Well, okay. I have learned to think about expectation differently because my motto has been expect the fullness of life. Expect good, expect wonderfulness, wonderfulness and demand nothing. If I'm so busy appreciating, I don't dip so much into the energy of demanding. I may say, this is my boundary. I choose this, not that. And therefore, I'm going to say, yes, 
I will accept this and no, I won't accept that or I'm putting up a boundary. That's unacceptable for me. Doesn't mean I need to spend a lot of energy on what I don't want. Because according to the law of attraction, the energy that's put into no and of what I don't want, the too much energy into that turns into a yes. I can use knowing what I don't want, though, to align me to what I do want. Absolutely. And so to expect the fullness and demand nothing. And I, I can move that over to some of what Esther says. Okay, I can expect specific things in a general way. I can expect that everything's working out for me. I can expect that I am prosperous and abundant and I have all the money I need and I have all the money to care about others, to give, to share, to spend. And I'm continuing to grow in how I allow that. I bought some stretch jeans the other day and what I know about them is they feel one way when I hold them in my hand and when I move into them, they expand. And so does my space for allowing the good things to come, the good things to be there. I like the, the access consciousness question, how does it get even better than this? How does it get any better than this? And um, Cynthia Sue Larson who says, how good can it get? I like those questions. And what I think of is a circle of chairs and people sitting in the circle. And a, more people show up and they say, do you have room for me? And it's kind of like that commercial that says, there's always room for Jello." Yes! And everyone slides their chairs back. Oh, maybe even a foot. And guess what? There is room. There is room for more, for more, for more. So how does it get even better than this? How does it get any better than this? I allow. And whether it's awful, how does it get any better? Ooh, I've just allowed for possibility to come in. And it's great. And how does it get even better and any better? Wow, I've still allowed even more possibility to come in. How good can it get? How good can it get? I've opened up for possibility with those questions. Possibility, positive ability. Yes, how good can it get? How does it get even better than this? All things are possible. All things are positively able. All things are possible. We are the essence. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We came to realize, to make real, to make manifest. And we came to embody, to embody the essence of spirit through this vehicle that we call our body, that is our vehicle for our expression and our experience. I've been ooh, going through a lot about the body and maybe I'll stop for now and share more of that another time but just know this body is so magnificently made and 
be kind. I ask, I invite, be kind, be gentle, and be open to be gentled by the love, the lovingness of all that is out there waiting to embrace, to fill you and your life with the goodness that is there if and when you are wanting. And you might say, well, I'm wanting, and where is it? Well, how much energy are you spending on what you don't want versus what you do want? Real, real important. Put on your own mask and then help others. Fill yourself up with the goodness. Don't just keep on giving and giving, 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 doing, doing, doing. Don't be just a doer. Keep being filled up with the good. And then the giving is so genuine. It's not about, oh, what are you going to do for me? It's about, I want you to have. I'm enjoying sharing. I want you to have. I'm happy to give. And then, hmm, I'm going to fill up. I'm going to keep on filling up in ever ways that I'm able to receive the good from those who are bringing me the good from wherever the good is coming, I'm going to keep on receiving. So we may not always give and receive from the same people. It's like that game, pass the shoe. I pass it on, not necessarily to the person who gave it to me. I pass it on and we keep passing it on, passing it on. And if we give and we happen to share with each other, we're in harmony, we're in the grand orchestra and we're sharing with each other. Oh, that's exquisite. That is exquisite. Absolutely. And I hope, I wish, I extend my best of all that your heart is wanting, that your soul is wanting, that your life is able and willing to receive this time around, this time around, where every moment is a new moment. Thank you for being here. Much love, always. See you next time. Bye, just for now.